Join From Beer to the Bible every week as Irvin Lee and co-host Sarah Oliveira McDonald warn others of the consequences of drug and alcohol addiction by being the voice of faith-based recovery. Every week, Irvin and Sarah help people get access to the treatment and counseling they so desperately need. They explore the depths of addiction and give practical life examples of how to recover and develop a new rhythm of living. The show is gritty, authentic, and simply raw while being rooted in the love, faith, and hope of God. Welcome to From Beer to the Bible. Hey guys, welcome to From Beer to the Bible. I'm Neil Williams, your host again for today. Round two with my dad talking about our book, Letters Home. Uh, And this time we're going to get into the book for real. Um, Let's jump right into it. Uh, we talked about how this came to be. So walking through that journey together in my addiction, um, 12 years of chaos and craziness. And then I'm arrested in 2013. Um, I call you a couple days later, said, Hey dad, I really mean it this time. I want to try. I've got some time now. I'm not going anywhere for a minute. Will you help me? You say yes, and then the visits start. So our book, Letters Home, is a compilation of our letters. Again, I, I know I'm uh, I'm repeating myself, but just as a refresher, this is a collection of our letters and the things he was teaching me during that first year and a half of my sobriety. And this all started with just a regular visit because I wasn't very far from the house. Um, when I was in jail for that whole, the entire first year, I was right down the street, like 20 minutes from your office. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about when you started coming to see me on a regular basis? Cause you would come every week. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that's a huge deal. Um, some people never get a visit while they're incarcerated. Some people never get a letter. Um, some people don't have anyone. And my dad was willing to come up and see me on a weekly basis. So talk about when you started doing that. (laughs) Well, it's a fun place to visit, right? Going into a jail to visit your son is humiliating. That's never where I expected to go visit my child in jail. So that, it was difficult at first to walk through that, to go through the, all the things you have to go through to see your son, to, to go through the inspection, to go through the wait, and uh, to sit with others as they wait for their derelict children, you know? And that's, uh, it's, it was humiliating. It was, uh, it was hard. Uh, the first few times it was, but then you get used to it. Uh, uh, so uh, the humiliation was interesting. Uh, but then I, I, I realized, man, there's, I have a purpose here. I have uh, a role to play in Neil's life, and that is encourager, guide. Uh, and so I would pray about what I had to say to you. I, I would ask God to give me uh, encouraging things to say for you. Then he, he began, well, why don't y'all start in, uh, memorizing verses together? 
And so I would uh, say, hey, let's memorize this verse. Mm-hmm. And you'd work on this in the week. And the next time I visit you, you'd, you'd recite it to me. And I'd recite it back to you. And so this began to be a pattern of, of encouragement. And then I remember I would come visit you and, and sometimes you'd look totally different than the last time I saw you. You, you might have a mohawk. I said, How'd that happen? You know? And you'd say, Oh, I don't know. What's his name? Zippy or whatever. <laughs> Same as 50. 50. Yeah. Did it for me. You know, he's a good friend of mine and yeah. he, he would do my haircuts. You know? And so these crazy things, uh, and he'd have a new tattoo, you know, how did that happen? You know? Anyway, you know, so, but I love you and I had an ability to overlook those things because I knew that God had a plan for you. And I, I knew that you had a heritage that was running through you that was good. And my job was to encourage you in those visits to walk that direction that God had for you. I want to stop you right there because I want everyone to understand how this translates. Because what I do for a living now, and this is years, it's been nine and a half years since we were sitting there writing these letters to one another. And now I have a business where I work with families and I help them navigate through addiction and treatment. And I support them through that. And I work with their sons. And a lot of times I'm talking with a family and I haven't, maybe I haven't met their son yet, or maybe I have just met him and they, uh, they try to prep me and they say, Hey, he's, he's kind of a mess right now. And he, you know, he wears this stuff and his hair's green and uh, he's wearing this, he's wearing makeup and he's painting his nails and they're black. And it's just, I'm just letting you know, none of that bothers me. I, I don't think about any of that stuff because when I would show up with the Mohawk, when I would show up, looking like whatever it you looked past that and that's what i think we all struggle to understand why someone would do this why would why would you wear that why would you why would you wear makeup like you're a guy you don't wear makeup girls wear makeup why would you want to do that what if they want to hide you know what if what if all i want to do is not be seen and the best way I can think to do that is disguise myself. And so what if that comes in the form of eyeliner or nail polish or a mohawk or green hair? Um, none of that changes my heart. None of that changes how I'm feeling other than giving me some relief. And I feel that in them. Like I see that. And so I know I know, I don't know, but I have a really good idea of what they're trying to do when they do those things. And so I know that it's not something to be threatened by, and it's simply something just to look past. It's just who they are. Mm -hmm. It's who they are right now, but it is not who they are at the core of their being. Mm -hmm. It is just something that they're doing. Um, Again, it's another symptom. And I say that, but I also don't want it to sound like those things are a bad thing because I dress the way I dress because this is who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I listen to the music I listen to. I have tattoos. This is who I am. Mm-hmm. This isn't a phase, you know. Um, 
So learning, seeing how you accepted me, look past those things and just understood that that's just part of it. That's just part of who he is. That has helped me because when I work with these kids and when I meet these families and they're like, listen, you don't understand. He's kind of, I get it. I, I promise I understand. I didn't always look this way. I looked a little crazy sometimes. I had super long hair and uh, I wore some some stuff, you know. Um, but I remembered that you did, you weren't judging me. You just let me be me. And that was huge. Yeah, I, I know that uh, sometimes I would come to see you, and you would uh, you'd be in a complaining mode. Oh, this this is going on. This isn't right. You know, I've got these struggles, and I, and I was reminded that I needed to turn Neil's focus off of Neil onto the people that he's around, and I and I begin to realize that I needed to remind you that you had a mission of encouragement to those people around you. So I remember uh, reminding you, hey, Neil, there's somebody probably really close to you in lockup that needs an encouraging word from you. And I think you're the one to do it. And so I would, I would, I remember trying to get the focus off of your problems and you focusing on how you might be able to help someone else. That's everything. Understanding that it's not all about me. Understanding that, yes, I'm going through some stuff, but I still have a job to do. Being reminded that, yes, you're broken, but you still have a purpose and have value was big. Mm -hmm. You, I needed someone to remind me that I had something to offer because one of the biggest, one of the biggest challenges in recovery, especially in early sobriety, is feeling like you have any value. Like, what could I possibly have to give? I'm the guy that's got all these charges. I'm the guy that has failed to meet all these expectations. I'm the reason we're all here in this courtroom. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Surely I'm not the same person who has something to offer. You know, so that was it. It contradicted all of those lies I was hearing in my head. Because even though I was in a sober state and even though I had prayed that prayer and God had responded, that was really cool. But unfortunately, it didn't make me a wonderful Christian overnight. And I didn't just become this uh, stellar individual. There was a lot of work, uh, a lot of work to be done. And so I was asking you a lot of questions. Do you remember any? Because I asked you some big questions early on. And that was when you started sending me assignments. Mm -hmm. And one, you had there were some prompts and you had asked me to write on some things. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Talk I, about I remember some of them were just basic questions. How do you see you being a Christian flesh out where you are now? How do you see God the Father in your life? Why would God love you those those kinds of questions uh because i wanted you to be introspective and find the core of your belief so i knew that if you asked yourself these questions and i and i knew uh 
how intentional you are about your thoughts, I knew that you would take this seriously and that God would speak to you and he would instruct you about who he is and what he wants to be through you and in you and how he wants to express himself to others. What I really like about what you're saying is how you, you targeted things about me that you already knew. Mm -hmm. So you found things about me that you already liked and you saw good in those things and you pursued those actively. And I do that with every single person I work with. It's not, that's the importance of the relationship. And I think I want to speak to this for a second because we all have people in our lives that we want to help. There's always someone close to us who we want to help. And I'm always, I'm a fix it guy. I'm a problem solver and I'm good at it. And so if I ever hear about a problem, my brain starts going, it's like, well, we should do this. We should, they should do this. Here's what would be helpful. And it just happens. Before I do that, I have to ask myself, do I, what is my relationship with the person who I'm trying to help? And how would they receive me trying to help them? And is what I'm trying to do for them helpful in my eyes or would they see it as helpful to them? And so I think about those things or not would they see it as helpful? Would, would they be able to apply this? Would it be practical or would it just feel like me trying to fix them? And I didn't feel like you were trying to fix me. Mm -hmm. I felt like you were saying, here are some directions and here's what you will find. And when I would follow those, they were short term goals. Mm -hmm. And when I would see something there, they were faith builders for me. Mm -hmm. And so I began to develop and I began to find some momentum, but there was still challenges because where I was living, the people I was around, the things that take place there and stuff like that, it makes it hard to stay positive. So when we got closer to, um, because in the beginning, and let me give some added perspective, when we're going through this for the first eight months, we didn't have an answer on how long I was going to be gone. Um, they were talking about 10 years, they said 10 years mm -hmm. twice. And then they came down to seven years and they were pretty, they were pretty adamant about the fact that they were not going to give me less than seven years in prison. Because I remember when they offered me seven, I countered with five and they turned me down. I was like, I thought that was a really good deal <laughs> and, and they didn't take it. And, um, things got really serious at that point, because I recognize the severity. It's not that I didn't understand the severity of it. I was, I mean, I was locked up. I knew where I was and I saw people getting 25, 30 years, 20 years, kids, mm -hmm. kids going away for murder. Um, because they had me and Seth were housed in this high profile tank. So there were a lot of guys with murders mm -hmm. and, and other stuff. So a lot of time being given out mm -hmm. like it's candy. Mm -hmm. You know, people going downstairs, coming back up an hour later, got 25 years, like it's nothing. Mm -hmm. So the everyday conversation, that's what I'm hearing. And so I'm thinking there's not much for me. Like I'm, I'm preparing to be a light in this place. And while I'm grateful to be alive and I'm grateful for any type of peace and spiritual freedom, that's not what I want. 
you know, that's not what I want. And so I really had a very hard time getting to a place of God, whatever you say is okay. That was very hard for me. The unknown, the lack of control. And, and I know that you heard that from me a lot mm-hmm. was, but I don't know, but I don't know. Talk about that. Well, because you were going through the same thing. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't know either. I didn't know where you were going to wind up, but that didn't stop my purpose of encouragement for you. And I had to relax in the fact that, again, God had a plan for you. I didn't know what it was, but as it turned out, he had a pretty cool plan. Uh, He had an option we didn't even know about that was out there, um, which turned out to be a great thing. But I knew that all the while, even though I didn't know the timeline, I knew that I still needed to remind you that right now you could live a life of significance right where you were. And so I was to give you examples of men from the Bible who lived lives of significance, like Gideon and Daniel and Joseph, those. And we read about those and we talked about those and the things, the struggles and challenges they went through and how God showed up and uh, how God uh, protected and promoted uh, when they submitted their life to his plan. And I would remind you, God will protect you and he will promote you if you'll just do what he puts in front of you to do uh, to the best of your ability. And I saw that happen. And so it was encouraging uh, for me when you would write back uh, answers to these questions and you'd, and I'd see you were engaging in this conversation that we were having and I could see you changing uh, as I would come visit you. I, I could see change in you. I could see uh, a type of spiritual maturity happening. Uh, so that, that encouraged me. So even though I didn't know how long the journey was going to be, I knew that I was in it for the duration, whatever it was going to be. And that was because God has given me a, a love for you because you're my son. But just like the Heavenly Father loves us beyond what we can comprehend, He's put a, He put a love in me for, for you that I can't describe. I can only express it. And that's, these letters were expressions of, of love toward you and how I wanted you to see how God had a really cool plan for you. And I wanted to encourage you to push into that and find out what it was. Yeah. There's two things that I learned very quickly and, and they've changed my life because I learned them in those, those first six months. I saw you say, I love you and then act. And I thought about it. I just remember one day we had concluded a visit and you said, I love you. And we always say, I love you and uh, see you later. Hope you have a good day. And we hung up the little phone and I think it was the simple, um, you said, I love you. And you didn't, you didn't, golly, made me emotional. You didn't leave. And 
when you see someone act on it, you really start to think, okay, I say I love you a lot. I tell, I, I tell people I love them a lot. And I say I'm sorry pretty often. Uh, sorry, I burned that word up. Um, but what are my actions? And when I say these things, do I follow them with actions? And that day I saw you say, I love you, hang up the phone and then act out of love. You stayed, waited for me to leave. And then you said, okay, I'll leave now. And again, you're not verbalizing this, but it's me seeing it. And, um, and so I was able to recognize, man, and this is me talking to myself, Neil, you do not act on the things you say enough. You may, um, you may do just enough to make it appear as though what you said is for real. But I, I recognized that I had been saying, I'm sorry. And I had been saying, I love people and not being sorry and not, um, showing love, not acting that out. And so I saw that and I, I recognized and I, and I told myself that's changing. It's, this is, I'm not going to talk like that. I'm, it's going to be about doing, not saying. And that's why still one of my favorite quotes is well done is better than well said. It, it just, it just is. Uh, the other thing I realized when we were going through the Bible and learning about these guys, Paul and Timothy, Paul, I just love Paul's writings. I relate to him. He sounds like, he sounds like my friend, like someone I, I get that. Yeah. We've done some crazy stuff and look at what he's done and, and, his way of identifying with his issues um, that made sense to me. But I started to learn from him and others in the Bible that you can do stuff right where you're at. I, I felt like I had to go in, sober up, become a good person, equip myself, and then launch out on this path as soon as I get paroled out or whatever and get a decent job. As soon as I get out of here, and get to that stage of life, then I will become that person we're talking about. And I realized one day that that's today. Today is the day I become that person. I what waiting for what we're here, right? Like here we are, right? And that those two things in the first six months, those two things changed in me, and they've never gone back. It's always been so every day I wake up, I live my life. Am I showing what I'm talking about? Am I showing what I say I believe? And am I acting right here, right now? What am I doing here in this building, in this room that says the things that I talk about and say I live my life for? And so I remember that, those first six months, understanding that show what you say, don't just talk about it, be about it. And what are you waiting for? Like we're we're not preparing for then we're preparing for now and we're here. Um, did you see that? Oh, absolutely. I saw you change. Uh, you began to be motivated to, to learn more to the point where even you found yourself preaching a sermon in yeah. jail. Uh, so God moved you from just an inmate who came in there but an inmate who came in there and then had a mission and you had a mission to impact others and encourage others around you. So that gave me great hope 
that, yeah, God, you're busy about this boy's life and I, I can see change. So that was uh, encouraging to me. And so as I would continue to send you, whether it was books to read, sermons to read, uh, and you're asking for these things. Uh, so that gave me great hope. And, you know, it, as, as a parent, if you have hope, you're okay. But once you lose hope, oh, it gets hard. So I was thankful that, that I had hope. And that was what kept me. That was the wind in my sail was the hope. Right. Yeah. And that's a quote that I like to say is uh, addiction has no prejudice, but hope is universal language mm -hmm. because that all of us, uh, we are all going through something. We are all dealing with something and we all need hope and it's universal. It comes from the same place and it is, it applies to all of us. Um, and, and that's, uh, when you can find hope and freedom in a dark and desolate place like that, that's also what I remind people having that experience while I was in jail and feeling free for the first time in over 12 years while I was incarcerated, just did something to my brain. It blew my mind. Mm -hmm. It, it, broke down all those barriers that I had about those conditions I had placed on the power of God and the love of God, assuming that I understood it in its entirety mm -hmm. and that I knew better. You know, the arrogance that's within us is astounding. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, when we're in our mess, um, we can make anything believable, anything. Um, so I'm just so grateful for those lessons. I'm grateful for that time. Um, and I'm grateful for where it's brought us. Yeah. You know, you were talking about Paul and Paul communicated through letters. Yep. And so I'm, I'm reminded that God hadn't changed that much. You know, he, he's still using letters and we use these letters to communicate back and forth. And I was using these letters to encourage you, just like Paul used those letters to encourage the Ephesians. Yep. You know, these were letters of encouragement and challenge. Yeah. And so I was struck by that years later. I thought, wow, letters, that's, that's what this is all about. Uh, and that was just interesting. Uh, yeah. God is still using the very similar tool that, uh, that the scriptures are letters. When, you know, in this, the last thing I'll say, just to reference back 50, he used to cut my hair. Mm -hmm and did some tattoos for me and stuff. He's still incarcerated and I've communicated and our relationship has grown over the last seven, eight years through letters. And I've witnessed his transformation and his relationship with God grow through our letters, you know, and there's four or five other guys I can, I, I know just off the top of my head that we have relationships and we've supported each other through letters and that is all after this and so it's it's so amazing to look back and see what god was doing in our lives before we had any idea what was going on um so i'm grateful that again you answered the call i'm grateful that he responded when i cried out i'll i'll forever be grateful that he responded to my uh you know my whiny little voice saying come help me you know, 
and he did. So thank you for being here. Thank you for talking about our book with me. Well, I, I, it's, a, it's a pleasure for me to be on this side of the journey. And I knew that God was going to do it amazingly more than I could imagine. And he continues to do that as you do the best with what you've been given. And, I, and I'm thankful for that message that it's true, that God is busy about us and loves us more than we comprehend. Yeah. And those two things, uh, my dad always reminded me when we were going through that time, he said, we're doing the best with what we've been given. So it's always about what we've already been given, what we have uh, to utilize, be resourceful. We do the best with what we've been given. But one of the first verses we memorized was Ephesians 3.20. What we did 15 through 20, mm -hmm. but in Ephesians 3:20 is now it became what we proclaimed over my life. Mm -hmm. It's of course it's tattooed on my body now. And, and it says now to him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine more than we can ask or imagine at his power at work by his power at work within us. And it's that reminder that it's more than we can ask or imagine, but it's his power and it's at work within us. Um, reminding that it's God's power, but he is with us. He is in us. And what can we do? Whatever, whatever he says. So if you'd like to uh, learn more about our book, you can buy it on Amazon. So I, I guess if you'd like to buy it or read it, um, our book is available on Amazon, uh, Letters Home, A Journey Into Recovery. And you can find me on social media, um, elevatedlifestyleacademy.com or on Instagram, elevatedlifestyle underscore academy. And we're on Facebook as well. Uh, thanks to Sarah and Irvin. Thank you to God for making this opportunity possible. And we hope you guys have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to this week's From Beer to the Bible. Make sure to tune in next week when Irvin and Sarah gift you with even more addiction recovery information. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And remember, we're always there for you.